Welcome to Writing Black Joy Season 2. I am Sophia Robinson and I'm a writing coach and an editor and a story listener as well as the producer of Writing Black Joy, a virtual space that celebrates, centers and promotes the voices of black writers and storytellers with joyful and uplifting stories. Here, you'll find conversations with some of my favorite Black writers and storytellers, learn more about their projects and the joy they're bringing into the world, hear more about their creative process, and find inspiration for your own creative ventures, as well as tips and strategies for writing poetry, blogs, creative nonfiction, fiction, plays, and so much more from all types of writers, as well as a sneak peek into the writing life. You can even find your next favorite writer, book, poem, play, or blog. And if you are a Black writer who is looking for a coach or an editor to help you bring your joyful story into the world, then click on my website below to find out how to work with me. In the meantime, let's go to today's guest. This week's guest is Kelly Richardson. Kelly is a writer, a poet, and an author who spent two years as the Poet Laureate of Tacoma, Washington from 2017 to 2019. She has written two collections of poetry, and we had a great conversation about her writing as well as her visual art. And you can actually take a look at our conversation over on YouTube if you want to see some of that art. Kelly and I talked about her being the first Black female Poet Laureate in Tacoma. We also talked about how she created an intergenerational space for creatives to show her city that poetry is for everyone. Why she didn't begin to share her work or embrace being a poet until she was in her late 30s. The narrowness of categories that legitimize the quote-unquote proper writing and what is considered canon. How she has fused her poetry and her visual art. How she assembled her poetry collections walking the line of joy and grief and holding opposing emotions, the questions to ask yourself if you are afraid to claim an identity as a writer, and so much more. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Writing Black Joy, and I'm really excited. I have Kelly Richardson with me today, and I am going to tell you about her in a minute, but just in case you've wandered on and you, you're not sure what this is, Writing Black Joy is a web series where we center and celebrate Black writers who are joyful writers, who write about joy, who want to bring more joy into the world with their writing. Uh, Kelly is an artist as well, so we're going to be talking a bit about that. But this season, you know, is all about storytellers, so we might even be talking a bit about bringing that storytelling through this mixed media that Kelly does. Speaking of which, let me tell you <laughs> about her. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so pleased to have you. So a bit about Kelly. Kelly is a writer, an artist, and an educator, and she was born and raised in Tacoma, Washington. Her work explores the intersection of race, class, and gender with a specific emphasis on the themes of love, loss, and longing, which somehow go together so well. More specifically, Kelly's work centers Black humanity as sacred and divine. As the 2017-2019 Tacoma Poet Laureate, Kelly worked to ensure literary arts are both accessible to and representative of the community. Kelly has authored two collections of poetry, What Us Is and The Art of Naming My Pain, both published by Blue Cactus Press. Kelly's work explores the healing power of disruption, reclamation, and joy, as well as the criticality of rage, grief, and chaos. She believes her work has one purpose, to be used as a tool for liberation and healing. Sometimes through provocation or confession, other times through belly laughs or tears, Kelly works to center the beauty and power of everyday folk and to put some funk into the dread we call survival. She's currently working on an exhibit Realized, which will feature mixed media collage and graphic poetry while exploring the humongous question, what is Blackness uninterrupted? The works will be featured at the University of Puget Sound in March, 2022. And in addition to her art, Kelly is a leadership coach and a trainer, and she works with individuals and organizations and from activists to executive directors to identify roadblocks to their growth and expand their ways of living and leading. So talk about a lot of strings to that bow, Kelly. 
I'm so happy to have you here. <laughs> Thank you so much. We're going to be diving in. So I have a question that kind of surpasses all of the questions that I sent you. To no worries. Up. I'm prepared. It's on you. Lay on me. Tell me about being the Poet Laureate. I, oh, I'd Lord. love to know more about that. <laughs> sure. So... Um, I was Poet Laureate for the City of Tacoma um, 2017 to 2019. And essentially the role is, and, and this is on all levels, because even when I applied, I was like, what does that even mean um, to be a Poet Laureate? And so whether it's on a city level or a state, or even we'll see like the National Poet Laureate, the lovely Amanda Gorman. Um, yes. yes, Black Girl Goals for real. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> regardless of what kind of your scope is, the role of a poet laureate is to cultivate um, literary arts, particularly poetry, but not always um, in whatever their community is. And so I took that. I really just took that as my role. And I was lucky that um, they give you a lot of latitude to see in terms of what um, each artist wants to do with the role. Um, I was the first um, black female to hold um, this particular post. And so I really wanted that um, to be a catalyst for the projects and the legacy I wanted to leave. Um, and so the way that I played that out was, you know, I'm a homegirl, I'm from Tacoma. And so I really thought, what are some of the ways I can gift my black femininity um, my Black queer femininity to the city. And I'm not extraordinary in this city. There's a lot of other people. There's a lot of other joy. There's a lot of other gifts and talents in the community that go unnoticed or unnamed. Um, so I really wanted to be my time as poet lawyer to be about access and reclamation, because um, as you said in my bio, I really want to cultivate spaces that bring joy and healing. And so my way of doing that was to hold the first, uh, what I called solstice, and I, I spelled that S-O-U-L, mm. um, in the summertime, and held it at Tacoma Art Museum, um, which, you know, art, even though they say art is like the most, you know, liberal and inclusive, it is so not, particularly when it comes to museums, or even in poetry, when you think about who's considered the canons, or what, you know, counts as good poetry or bad poetry, and what counts as good art and bad art, it's often steeped in white supremacist patriarchy. And so what I wanted to do was take over the art museum in a way that looked like my city. Um, so the way that I did that was really taking on more of the role of a curator. Um, and so we had an artist market for folks that were writers selling their books, making art, making live art. And then we also had performances and it was really centered on black, brown um, and LGBTQ artists. Um, and that's been an event that's gone on each year. So I'm really, really proud of that. And it was a space where um, it was intergenerational for once. You know, I think our, our, a lot of our communities are still racially segregated, but even within our own Black community here, there's definitely generation gaps. Yeah. Um, you got the, the young folks like my son, you have the hip hop generation. That's kind of how I consider myself. We have the civil rights generation and each of us are working towards the same Black humanity, I think, but the way in which we think we need to do it is very different. Um, so I was really proud that Solstice was a place that became intergenerational, cross-racial, and again, really was um, just this unapologetic declaration that art moves in all places in our city um, and that poetry is for everyone. Um, so that's a little bit about my time as Poet Laureate. I love that. And I, I love you. that you created, tried to create something that you said was not just uh, intergenerational, but like crossing all yeah. the divide in terms of race, in terms of age, in terms of, you know, maybe even genre, dare we say, yes. And, yes. And, and that type of thing. And, you know, it's, it's, I feel like we don't get that enough. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something I have to say. Uh, and this is, you know, I, I said this, probably in the last couple of episodes. So by the time these come out, it's going to be April and, <laughs> you know, things change fast around here, but I, that's something I, I love the idea of creating spaces where you get that sort of unity and you get a lot of the, the, the diversity. I think, you know, even everybody's like, well, you created something called writing black joy. Yes. But I still want to celebrate that diversity. Mm -hmm. I don't think liberation will come 
in a space that's monochromatic anywhere. Right. It can't work that way. So yeah. I love that you've really created, you know, really mixed spaces in terms of mm-hmm. other generations, everything, and, and just trying to continue to create that, uh, curate that in your life. So, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Thank that's, you. That's really, really good. Um, so have you always been a poet? I, I've had a, I had a few poets on season one, and most of the poets I know, they're like, they've always been poets. They've been writing poetry since they were able to write, and they, you know, they've always been poets. So I'm curious. Yeah, I, you know, I appreciate that question because I think now that I have some, um, some wisdom and maturity in me, I think, yes, I have always been that, but um, I didn't claim that for myself for a really long time. Um, and certainly the sort of the family dynamic and culture dynamic that I moved in, um, creativity to include poetry, that was sort of like what you do when you're done doing the real work, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, bill, the bill paying work. The and, corners and so, of your life. Right. Yeah. And so I certainly kept it compartmentalized well into like, I didn't even share my writing. I've written, you know, had journals and poetry and collage and all of that. Uh, most of my life, but I didn't actually submit my work until my mid to late 30s. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So the writing I did was, you know, just stuff in school and stuff for myself, kept it to myself. Like so many other, I think, Black women, we have all these little archives of our creativity and our humanity sort of tucked away in these little trunks or little hat boxes or whatever, shoe boxes, whatever else we can find. Mm. Um, But yeah, words have always been, um, I just had to write my artist statement for my exhibit, which was excruciating. That's a whole other conversation. But but the first sentence I say in my artist statement is I make sense of the world through my words and my intuition and my imagination. And so because I'm wired that way, I think, yes, I've probably always been a poet and have found that language has been a way for me to just really make sense of the world and and try to make like even if I couldn't figure it out just the act of trying to find the right word I think that's why poetry is one of um one of my favorite ways of writing is because it's a way for me to discipline myself to really find the essence of of what I'm feeling or the essence of what I want to express um I hate a wasted word I can't stand when there's like you know, you, you, if you take 20 pages to write something, you could have wrapped up in a, in a page and a half. And that's probably, again, my just my bajiggityness. There are people that are beautiful and lyrical writers. Yeah. But I think I generally am always erring on the side of like, you know, brevity and what will get us to the heart of the heart and the, the root of the root. Yeah. And, and I think it depends because I'm sure that there are even yeah. poets out there who, who love a good ramble and that's right they love to go and I'll go with them I just can't do it (laughs) I'm not as good at it I guess (laughs) no but I I think I think we all have our we all have our yeah and that's something that I've thought about you know you were talking earlier about um you know who's considered canon and who's considered Mm -hmm. what what sort of writing is is really considered um you know I always do the air quotes thing the proper writing that's right Mm -hmm. Um, I think about that even in terms of, you know, when I think about literature, like I um, if I write poetry, I channel Dr. Seuss, so I'm pretty. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's a class. You can't mess with a classic. You can't mess with a classic. Right? But like, right. I don't, I'm, I'm not a poet, right? If yeah. I write poetry, it happens very rarely. Yeah. It's fun. It's about my nephew. It's about, you know, things like that. That's the sort of poetry that I write if I write it at all, which happens very rarely. And, you know, I write a lot of creative nonfiction and they always, the, the very first, you know, first of all, I, I, I wrote some nonfiction and then, I, but I always wanted to write fiction, always, always, always. And so a few years ago, I wrote this uh, romance novel and then ensued the sort of like, you know, it's not proper, it's not a proper literature and it's this and it's that and all the things. And, you know, it's hard, I think, because even I'm from the Caribbean and even when mm-hmm. of what people call Caribbean literature, it's this really specific thing. Yeah. And it kind of makes, if you don't write within, within those um, sort of, you know, brackets, those, if you don't, you, yeah. if you're in that sort of genre, then it's almost like you maybe feel like your writing doesn't matter. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that's always bothered me because I think, 
again, it's, it's, it's a, to me, it's an idea of supremacy, but it's also, it's also sexist because of the, totally. end, yeah. you know, a lot of, a while ago I was reading this book, um, I wish I, I I'm going to put the name in the comments because the name is going to, I'm going to just going to tap my candle and remember it, but okay. the name is totally escaping me, but she was talking about even, you know, probably back in the day when we were younger and the books that were considered again, like the classics majority mm-hmm. of them are written by men and, and that type of thing. And like, there's nothing, I think it kind of dismisses certain types of writing, whether it be within a particular genre, whether it yeah. be, certain like when I think of my poetry that I write that's like all rhymey and stuff like that you know it it normally gets like oh that's cute type of thing and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> but it, it doesn't ever feel like it counts I don't I don't know what my question is here other than I'm curious <laughs> yeah I thank you for asking that and and you know it's actually a pretty appropriate question for me be, or topic for me because I hate this categorization or like be a poet or be a visual artist or either you're a music, you know, you're this or you're that. Um, I think one, just who I am as a human and our legacies as women of color, we've never been one thing. One, we've never been allowed to be one thing, but two, we're just too big for that. Um, So, you know, just on a human level, I don't like being asked to pick which part of myself to highlight or which part of my creativity um and just that act of like to your point of legitimizing what's what or what counts and what doesn't um to me is just the complete opposite of creativity it's the complete opposite of 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 what should be happening and I work to not use should that much but that this is a should I feel comfortable about um is you know, when I think about genres or even practices, like I've been trying to really lean into using the word practice more than strategy or technique, because I think saying practice really invites us to lean into something as circular and nonlinear and and creativity or writing or whatever else, just as a practice, as an engagement with creative energy, whatever that looks like. And that that can ebb and flow. I believe that everything is connected, especially for me as an artist, my creative processes is, does fuse often my poetry and my visual art. So I'll have collage that will have a line from one of my poems on there or something will strike me. But I think in order to engage with different folks, which is always my, um, yes, I'm an introvert. I don't do good with the small talk. But when it comes to art, I want to invite in and engage as many folks as possible. And often to do that, you've got to, um, or I have found success in fusing different forms, Um, whether it's poetry or prose or bringing the visual art and the poetry together, or even choosing to, to perform something or read something, moving it from page to stage can often bring a piece to a different level as well, or bring it in props or things like that. So Um, I think the other piece of that, too, is that with my visual art, I'm self-taught. I am not a a studied artist. Yes. Um, So like when I did when I did Solstice and I had a a booth with my own art, uh, an art, an art leader from our community came up to me and he was like, the first thing he asked is, where did you study? And I just said, my living room, YouTube. I looked in books, you know, and he kind of, it kind of took him aback. Um, and I, and I honestly, it felt like to your point when you were talking about writing a romance novel or feeling kind of discounted, I felt a little shrink in my own spirit because that was his, mm. his measure of yeah. my legitimacy is where I studied. Um, and so, although it, it wasn't the greatest exchange, it really fueled me to not perpetuate that in my work either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And- And I I definitely feel that, you know, sometimes I think people want to know, like, if you have an MFA, so those who who may not know, that's the Master of Fine Arts, or if you studied here, if you went here and did this, and no. Right, (laughs) no. (laughs) Doesn't, you know, does that make it any less legitimate than than someone who did? Um, So I love, I love that you kind of are seeking to not have that. 
I'm sorry, I have so many different questions that are it's not okay. necessarily going <laughs> to blend in okay. with the, the previous sort of okay. flow of the previous conversation. <laughs> so just go with me, if you will. Absolutely. Um, tell me a bit about your mixed media. Tell me a bit about that. Sure. So my mixed media is primarily a lot of trash. Um, and when I say trash, I don't do much dumpster diving because I get the heebie-jeebies, but I do a lot of old magazines, newspapers, music, like sheet music, a lot of old jewelry. I'll dismantle jewelry, things like that. Um, and then I also will use acrylic, old gift bags, gift, like whatever I can find, essentially. Um, and then I just make some stuff. Um, one of the ways I sort of explained it was that I just sort of wait to hear what, what the materials want me to do. And I try to do it. And I don't mean that in like a, in too woo woo of a way, but it is a, I mean, it is a spiritual process. I try to not, I try to norm people to accepting that creative process, whether it's writing or visual art is to me, an engagement with spirit. It's an engagement of energy, whether you can see it or not. I kind of liken it, although I certainly do not have the skill set, but I feel like collage is perpetuating or, or honoring, I guess, um, a practice of a lot of Black women who would take scraps and make something completely different and beautiful out of it. Um, like quilting comes to mind. Yeah. I think a lot of our foremothers took the stuff, the refuse that other people didn't want and made it into something beautiful. So a lot of my work honors that. Um, I've always been inspired by like Gwendolyn Brooks and Toni Morrison um, as writers, bringing their concept of black humanity and like taking small towns and everyday black life and elevating it to something that others should absolutely aspire to. So a lot of my work centers black humanity. I did a lot during the pandemic of like anticipating the light of a new sun. I try to bring a lot of envisioning of other life, of better life, different life um, into my work. So it's very textured, lots of colors. It's hard to explain on a podcast, but that's the look. I can show you some if you want. I was just about to say, you can show me some because we're, we're going to obviously be sure. on YouTube, but also I will... Um, that is nice. Thanks. Uh, and I was going to say, obviously, you know, if, yes. you guess, if you have any photos, we can always put those up on the website as well, which would be, I, I would love that um, to really kind of share some of that as well. So when you mentioned the, you know, taking the scraps and making something beautiful, the thing that came to mind is kind of unrelated, but I always think about that in terms of food. Um, oh, yeah, of, definitely. In terms of like, when I think about like here we have, um, a dish that we eat called pudding and sauce and it's always like traditionally would have been made from like the bits of the you know vegetables or the animals mm -hmm, or whatever mm -hmm. that are not not the the prime pieces right um and then you know all of a sudden it's this dish that's like somebody's has it on their restaurant yeah. menu and they're making it really pretty and whatever mm -hmm. and this idea of like being able to take you know, the sort of leftovers and repurpose it into something that is, is beautiful and tells a story. Yeah. So I really do enjoy that. So I know you, you have a couple of poetry books and I'd love to know about the process of writing those in terms of what, you know, if you've always been a poet and you've always written and you haven't necessarily shared them, did you write all the poetry for that book once thinking, okay, this is going to be a book, I'm going to write 20 poems or whatever, or is it just a collection of things that you've done over the years? Like what inspired you to put that book together? Yeah, thank you. Um, the first book, um, What Us Is, spans probably 12, 15 years of stuff. Um, that is, I think of the two books, that's the one that is that sort of represents the largest scope. Because again, I was just sort of picking up things and collecting them along the way. And so that was it felt a little bit like going back into a sort of this museum of me and picking up the things that represented the journey that I wanted to share with others or sort of this journey I wanted in audiences to come along with me on. Um, so it was everything from um, 
you know, mourning the death of my grandmother. There were some pieces in there about that, some poetry, what I call, you know, poetry of witness, me sort of becoming someone else and sharing that. So that sort of was, for that particular book, it was a lot of excruciating editing um, because I think I didn't know how attached I was to certain things until somebody suggested I left it out or I, <laughs> or I, or I cut it down or, you know, and because again, this was like the first, I think I had this self-imposed pressure on myself of what it was like supposed to look like. So I think the, the lesson from that particular collection was to just not be worried about the outcome as much. Um, and I think when, you know, we're in a capitalist society, so you can often get, um, have that be the center of the, the project is what, what's, what are people going to want to buy or what are people going to want to read, you know, just sort of worrying about outcome and perception of others. And so with the second collection, Art of Naming My Pain, that was a lot more of me kind of turning myself inside out. Um, one of the lines of the beginning of the book is, this book is a walk through my safe and unsteady space. May we all be equally terrified and redeemed. So it was, the art of naming my pain was definitely me sort of walking this line of joy and grief, trying to hold very opposing experiences and emotions. And that both of those are necessary, that it's not about one or the other. I think that I love that you center so much of your work on joy. And I think my journey has been, I, I have to, I get to the deepest joy through acknowledging and processing the pain, through naming the grief, through claiming my mistakes and, um, and trying to reframe them. So that was this, this second collection. I guess the other thing I would say about the process was I talked about my journey with mental health in this second collection, which you know, caused several panic attacks and imposter syndrome moments. I think for lots of reasons. One that just, it feels, it was a, another level, I guess, of vulnerable. Um, not just because of, you know, talking about my, my struggles with mental health in general, but also just the stigma that um, in the Black community, mm -hmm. um, the role that my parents or my family played or didn't play in my suffering or in my healing, you know, it's just a lot to put sort of put out there. And then you think about our family dynamics as black folks or my, I should say my family dynamics. Yeah. I know we're not a monolith, but I think I can make some assumptions about, you know, shame or like, don't put our family business out there. Yeah. Or why would you share that with people? And so I think that that's what is the most, what I'm most proud of, but in terms of just the process, what was hardest, because I had to kind of keep reliving the crisis part to get through the editing. Um, I have a few, I have a, a poem, a longer poem, and then I did some prose, which is called, um, it's just like a black girl's guide to voluntary commitment. That's how I tried to frame it. <laughs> As if other folks need to go through a process of kind of a little guidebook. Um, so that was hard kind of reliving that piece. But in prep for recording today, I have to thank you because it actually made me go back and reread some of the book that I hadn't in a long time. And I remember just laying things out. I, I process things visually. Mm, so even the, the, yeah. So even just the editing process, I, God bless her, my publisher just let me kind of do what I wanted to do. And we kind of printed everything out as a roadmap. Mm -hmm. um, and that really, really helped me with, literally picturing a reader kind of walking a reader through my brain or walking a reader through this piece. Um, I hope I'm answering your question. I feel like I'm kind of all over the place, but. No, it's absolutely <laughs> okay. I love that because I think everybody's process is kind of different. Like I'm, yeah. I'm like that in terms of while I'm not, I wouldn't, I don't actually consider myself to be a visual person necessarily. Like I'm, I'm like you, who's a visual artist, like there, <laughs> I'm not. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm very almost like I have to be able to like touch it in a way. Like when I was planning yeah. my book, I literally had to write everything out on piece of paper and just sit in the middle of it. Right. <laughs> so right. I could, like sit in it and see it and be like, I want this here mm -hmm. and I want that there. And I couldn't do it on the computer. Right. Like, and I think that you got to do what works for you. And I, um, that's been one of my favorite things about talking to different people who do have different sort of uh, ways of writing because I feel like 
there is, again, this idea that like, it has to be this way and it has to, yeah, you know, the, the typewriter in the cottage type of thing. Like there's, there's that idea about yeah. it really and truly, you know, whatever, whatever brings your, your creativity to life, I feel like you should lean into that instead of trying to lean into, and that's, you know, we talked earlier about studying. That was the thing I think that worried me about going to study, formally study writing and having to, I love, I love learning. I love learning new things. I love learning about new techniques and, you know, that type of thing, but also being worried that you might get boxed into, well, it has to be done this way and it has to be done that way. And I, I just didn't, you know, I'm like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be, maybe I will, who knows. But at the time I was like, I'm not going to be a professional writer from the perspective that I feel like I need this degree. And I was worried right. that it would just stifle my creativity. Because I guess, you know, also you kind of have memories of school and, you know, yeah. having to turn things in a particular way. And so mm-hmm. I was like, as uh, much as I love school, I just wanted it to be able to be free to do the way I wanted one thing you said, which I love, 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 you talked about being able to really hold those opposing things of grief mm-hmm. and joy together. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think that's really important. I really, really think it's important. I mean, I, I've had a lot of grief in life. I think that's yeah. why I like to focus on joy because I feel mm-hmm. like where the things that I've had to grieve, I've had no control over. Right. I've had no control over the people who I've lost, you know, all those things. And I do have control over where I put my energy, but I do realize it does cause you to need to hold both of those things because I don't think I, I, speaking for myself, I feel like just because I'm focusing on joy doesn't mean that I put my grief down and I'm like, well, it's gone because it's never really gone. (laughs) So I love that you kind of explained the reality of, having to hold both. And I think a part of the reason that I wanted to focus on joy is because I feel like there has been so much focus on the grief. There has been so much focus on the hardship. And this, this is just to bring balance. So this is not to kind of Mm -hmm. minimize people's hurt or people's grief or people's pain, but to actually bring balance to realize like, you know what, there is joy as you're going through this grief piece, you ha- there is also joy. Mm-hmm. And you do mm-hmm. have to be able to hold both of those things. And you must hold both of those things. You can't, if you just carry around the grief and the hurt, it's going to crush you, right? right? You still need to be able to bring that joy mm-hmm. in. So I love that you kind of balance both of those things. Why? Um, so, you know, I know you are, you do that definitely tend to balance both, but um, tell me a bit about your own sort of relationship to this idea of, joyful writing by black writers or about black Mm. characters okay um well when i saw your the question just about like who are what are some of the black joy stories in your life i mean i think some of the first black like demonstrations or manifestations of black joy and holding the tension that you're talking about i certainly got a lot from my grandmother just watching how, you know, she was a a mother in her church and it was a black church. It was a black Pentecostal church. So, you know, there were a lot of individuals holding their own grief as well. Um, And she had a lot and a lot that go, that went unnamed. Like I think a lot of our um, elders and ancestors just don't name stuff because it's too much, you know, it's just too much. And I think her way of coping to your point is trying to take that energy, the darker energy and flip it into something joyful. Sometimes I showed up in the kitchen and we got to benefit from it by eating it. Sometimes it showed up in her fashion. Sometimes she'd go and travel and take trips. But even the way that she would just talk about her travels orally, she didn't write down a lot. She wrote down a recipe now and she wrote down a Bible scripture. She's going to write those down. But the stories were all oral. And so those are some of my first um, experiences and me having time and space just as an older, as an adult to go back and feel that joy in my body allowed me to kind of connect with some of my own joyous experiences and put language and words um, to that. I think the authors that I mentioned, Toni Morrison before and Gwendolyn Brooks, just in terms of taking the beauty in everyday life, the joy in everyday life, um, learning how to savor the way that we sound, the way that we look, 
the way that we move. I think there's so much joy in um, walking into spaces that we're used to not feeling that welcome in and spotting another black person. <laughs> not that, again, not that we're a monolith. We could be t- from two completely different political perspectives, all the things. But just even that moment, um, there's a woman, Robin Little Wing Saigo, she's an um, indigenous woman here. And sh- I listened to her do a keynote one time and she talked about the moment of recognition. Meaning the moment you walk in a space and you look and see some connection, a kindred spirit. And in, in this case, I'm talking about melanated folks. I'm talking about black folks and just um, sharing the story of feeling that kind of a connection that doesn't even necessarily have to be named that you just feel um, the head nods that we do um, mm-hmm. when we see each other at the grocery store or in the street or at the mall or whatever else. Um, and even just being, I've been on Zooms um, where myself and I only have one other sister on the call and we'll private message each other and just say, hey, sis, you know, just mm. just this constellation of like um, support that others aren't privy to. Yeah. Um, I love that opportunity in, in terms of writing black joy, joyful black stories of daylighting and elevating and cultivating this beautiful way that we engage with each other yeah and really how that's a privilege to the how the world gets to benefit from the way we are and sort of who we are and I I will tell you I've made actual friends uh on calls like that like so I remember a couple of times there have been a couple and actually one of them has been a guest on here a couple of times Mm -hmm. Thea shout out Thea she (laughs) and I were on a zoom call and I was saying something and then she sends in a DM she's like is that a Bajan accent? I hear because she's she her parents are from Barbados, right? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, yep. Yeah. And then she like DM'd me, and that that was it. And we've just been fast friends ever mm-hmm. since. And it was, you know, it's just that little that little connection, as you said, that little thing. It wasn't, you know, yeah. we didn't know anything about each other, but it was just that little moment of like, ooh. Yeah, it's definitely a way to like step into our power um, when I'm. When I'm coaching, especially when I'm coaching women of color, I'm always trying to think about how do we step, what are these opportunities, no matter how small for us to really step into our agency mm-hmm. and exercise that muscle a little bit more. Because I, when you said earlier, so much of your grief was not under your control. You know, there's so many ways that the world controls or shifts our lives or, you know, we can become very externally defined, like the outside world telling us who we are, what we're allowed to do and what we're not. And being able to really increase your consciousness of joy around you is a way for you, I think, to step into that power and just reclaim your humanity yeah. um, in a world that doesn't always want to give us that. Yeah. And, and I totally agree. And that's, you know, that's, that's for me. I don't, yeah. I don't pretend that like life is happy all the time. That's, right. that's never been my intention, mm-hmm. but just that like, this is something that I've created and that's what I want to put the focus on. Yeah. So much has been taken away from me and I did not have any control over that. Yeah. This thing that I, you know, it's like the, the sort of, again, the put the push and pull between like what you, what you create and what you produce and what you lose for me. Right. I want to create, I want to create, yeah. some joy. you know, those, those people that I lost, we had good relationships. Yeah. There was joy in those relationships. And I want to just bring some joy back into the world yeah. having to lose it there. So that's, that's yeah. always been my, I love opinion. it, mm-hmm. but it's not, it doesn't, it, it both of those things are still there. And, sure. you know, it's, it's good to acknowledge that as well. Yeah. I just wanted to let you know how you can support us over here at Writing Black Joy. Firstly, you can join our Patreon community over at patreon.com slash Sophia Robinson, and you'll find the link for that in the show notes. When you sign up over at Patreon to support us, you will get the opportunity to join our monthly group coaching calls and workshops that we'll be holding exclusively for Patreon supporters. So come on over and join the party. It's so much fun over there. Other ways you can support us, hit subscribe here on your podcast or over on the YouTube channel. You can also leave a podcast review, like our YouTube episodes, and share us with your friends. You can head over to our website and sign up for our mailing list, www.writingblackjoy.com. Also, follow Writing Black Joy over on Instagram at writingblackjoy. All of these will be in the show notes. 
Thanks so much for listening and for supporting our show. One of the things you mentioned earlier when you were talking about the, the mixed media, but it's something I've written about it a couple of times. Um, and it's something that it's almost like a, a secret little thing that I don't really, <laughs> I say I don't really talk about it, even though I've written about it a couple of times. It's almost like a secret little thing to me because I'm very, while I'm a very grounded person and I won't say, you know, for not for this episode, if you want to hear about it, you, there's a episode <laughs> I'd recommend to you, but um, a few episodes ago, I was talking to another writer, my friend Charisse, uh, who wrote a devotional, and we were talking about our spiritual journeys. And I would have explained then, like, I don't, I don't really, you know, I grew up in the church, but that's not, that's not my life anymore. But writing, if anybody ever asked me, you know, if there was any feeling, or I don't even know what word to use to describe it in terms of like that connection to something outside of yourself for me that's writing mm. right I cannot explain it any other way I'm not going to try you know it's <laughs> one of those things that you know sometimes when I'm writing I just feel like this thing already exists out there somewhere mm. and I just conjure it and it's just here it comes mm-hmm. and like ready or not and I I can't like I said, I'm not going to even attempt to explain it any other way anybody yeah. who you know who has different experience good for them but that's always been my experience so when you talked about your your art, uh, you know, kind of talking to you, because I always say that my characters talk to me when I write fiction, like they talk Definitely. to me literally, yeah. you know. Uh, so I'm curious about, can I be sure what question I want to ask here? <laughs> Sorry, I just. It's okay. I just go, <laughs> tell me. So tell me a bit about your own writing poetry process from that perspective. Do you feel like it's also mm. almost like it's like a spiritual, you know, a few of the poets I interviewed were kind of like almost felt like channels for lack of a better mm-hmm. word. They're like, they're sitting there and all of a sudden this poem comes to them and it's like, hey, I've got to get it out. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel sometimes about my own writing. So tell me, how do you feel in terms of your poetry? And also two questions in one. It's okay. Feel free to ask <laughs> what you want. Um, do you feel like your poetry and your art come from the same place? Well, that's a great question. You know, I was actually thinking about this yesterday when you when I, I saw a creative process that we would we would maybe dive into that. This it's a little bit different between the poetry and the visual art. And I think that that's simply because of the way what's required for me to get it out. So with poetry, it's honestly kind of a little bit mean the way the universe works for me um, with poetry. Stuff comes to me like right before I'm about to fall asleep. I hate it. There are some things more like, yeah, I mean, there are some times when I'll see an exchange of humans and I'll make up a narrative in my head and that'll become a poem. But that's a lot, that's rare. It's seldom, I should say it that way. Most of my poetry, I'll be falling asleep and just a line will come into my head or I, I, so, I so relate to you saying something's out there that's found me. I, I get that. And so for that reason, there is stuff next to my um, bed where I can always write mm-hmm. that down. Some of the time I get up and I have, it's in the dark. I just refuse to turn the light on because it's like, I'm just mad because I'm an insomniac. I want my sleep. And somehow this creativity doesn't care about that. So I'm like, okay, all for the the, the greater good. So I'll jot some things down and then um, we'll sit down and piece those things together. Sometimes it'll be four or five things completely unrelated and they turn into one piece. Um. I appreciate, uh, there's a woman named Elmaz Amandir, and she's a, a poet and a writer. And I went to a workshop of hers and she was talking about the ways in which um, these little scraps, to not discount those little scraps, not discount, even if it's just four or five words, that mm. is a seed, right? So um, pulling those things together, that's generally how a lot of my poetry will come together. And then with the um, the mixed media like I said, sometimes they'll work together. So um, there's a couple, there's quite a few pieces where I'll just take a line out of my poetry and that turned into something bigger. It turned into a broader visual narrative that I wanted to share. 
um, particularly when it's um, a reclamation. So there's a um, there is a, a poem that I have around a, a black woman asking someone to stop using her body to find their soul. And so that became a piece where I brought in um, subjects of black women um, who were in very joyful stances saying, you don't get to use my body any kind of way anymore. Um, so sometimes they'll work together. But what happened with this most recent exhibit is um, I got a whole lot of vintage photos of black folks, like a lot, 95% of which I had no idea who these people are. And probably 80% of them had nothing on the back. So you had no idea who they were. I, there was a little print, you know, like from the um, the photography studio that said yeah. 19, like they would be from the 20s, the 30s and oh, the 40s. Yeah, I get you. Um, so super old. And I, as soon as I looked at their eyes, I felt this responsibility <laughs> to figure out what it is they wanted me to say or if they wanted to be left alone. And again, you know, people can be like, Kelly, that's creepy. But that's just the way I felt. I felt like there's a spirit in that photo. Um, and what story can I tell? How can I cultivate this overall message around Black humanity? And then even the exhibit being what is Blackness uninterrupted, I sort of started to use my imagination and my words to think about well, who was this person? Who might they have been? Um, and even putting them together in... Um, really imaginative, almost childlike ways. So I, I got the, the idea as of being grounded and sourced by other, by my foremothers. And so I created kind of this childlike, it's a pretty big piece, but kind of a childlike garden, but the bottom layer, sort of the groundwater and the, the blossoms are all very small. They're all the women from those vintage photos and I cut their faces out, which was painful. I was like really afraid to cut them. <laughs> I felt like, what am I, you know, cause you can't undo it. That's sort of the other thing with collage is you gotta, it really was a discipline around intuition. And I turned them all into flowers and those flowers fed the next generation. And so the next generation of um, pictures were a little younger and the next generation were a little younger or yeah a little younger so it, it kind of turned into this black divine feminine ecosystem of sorts yeah um so that's kind of the way the, the process is a little bit different is I feel like I get called by visual stimuli with the with the mixed media more often um and I try to channel it that way but with poetry I'm telling you it's like a, a haunting of sorts which I've just come like, to accept. A word, a word drops <laughs> in or a sentence or even yeah. a phrase. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And I learned my lesson not going, oh, I'm going to remember that tomorrow. I'm not you're getting not. up. No, you're not. No. You're absolutely not going to remember one thing and then you're going to be mad. And I learned that I learned that lesson the hard way. Um, so that's sort of sort of the difference. Okay, I love that. I love that, that sort of different creative process. Yeah. Tell me now... You obviously you've published books. You've you know as we discussed earlier, you've been the poet laureate. You've to me you've you've done something that a lot of poets that I I know and have spoken to almost seem to it almost seems to be this this mysterious thing that nobody has any mm -hmm. idea how to do because poetry is is one of those disciplines I think that sometimes feels a bit unrelatable to the average person. Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to describe it. So I, I, you know, I know a lot of people who are poets who write poetry and they, they, they have a lot of questions, I suppose, for lack of a better word, around how to, how to garner some level of success. I, I mm -hmm. say success with the air quotes again, with their writing different to, you know, like if you are a novelist or if you are whatever, like it's, it's a very, like, is there's this thought that that's more relatable, it's more accessible, people can understand mm -hmm. it. Obviously, I know making this uh, form, this discipline accessible is something that's really important to you. Mm -hmm. I'd love to know what's, what's helped you along that way and what maybe were some obstacles that you've had along that path. Sure. Yeah, I think the first obstacle was just me claiming it. Um, <laughs> is, is me going, yes, actually, you are a writer. Yes, actually, you are a poet because and, and seeing that as something 
that others would want to read that I could make some form of money with, or that I could be of service with. I should put it that way too, because it's not like I was poet Lori and I paid my bills that way. And I, and I still, you know, I, I am a coach and a trainer, so I still pay the majority of my bills that way. I haven't achieved that full-time artist um, status yet. I'm still, don't get me wrong. I'm still chasing it. But I think part of that process is me one again, claiming it and really investing consistent time and energy into putting my work out there. So it was almost as if, as soon as I started putting my work out there, things started coming back to me. So as a, it, to me, it really was about me starting that process instead of just thinking about it. Cause I think that's what a lot, I, I think for myself and I know for a lot of um, either young people or folks that have uh, made a career transition or they're ready to claim their writing, they keep thinking about it um, and trying to prove it first. Like they're trying to make a case in their head. In their mind, and yeah. there's, Right, and there's no case really to be made. It's just about coming to the table with your work and bringing, bringing your full self as best you can and practicing that. Yeah. And knowing that failure and rejection is part of that. Part of it, yeah. Um, and that's the worst part for me. That, that, it, oh. It does oh. not feel good. It feels gross and wrong and like they don't get you. And for myself, who is uber sensitive and uber sensitive in general, but uber sensitive about my work, for someone to tell you, yeah, you know, you know, you're not what we're looking for, that can hurt. Um, and it will hurt. But I think the, the best advice anyone ever gave me was just like, continue to get more grounded in who you are, because who you are is not going to change and your work will find the right venue, it will find the right platform, it will find the right publisher, or you'll publish it yourself. That's what happened with my first book. It was initially a self-published because I just had to get it out. I needed to stop perseverating mm-hmm. um, over what, what the cost might be. Um, And so I really invite creatives or potential creatives or poets, especially don't think about the risk of failure. Think about the risk of not doing it. What's Mm. the cost of you keeping all that to yourself? Yeah. Um, And often again, and I think it it just comes from my, my lens of like, does this liberate, does this heal really giving yourself some space and time to think about like, what is my, purpose as a writer? What's my why? And my why is living at the intersection of creativity and courage and liberation. And so that I've started to really try to have that be the core of like, this is what I got to get out in the world, or this is what I want to write, or this is how I edit. This is the story I want to tell. Really give yourself the time and opportunity to figure out what your why is as a creative, and then just start playing with that. There's no, and, and, I can't say this enough and this has gotten me in trouble, but that's okay. It means some people reject me is I just don't, I, I don't want to be um, stifled by technique or form. Yeah. Um, and there are, especially in the poetry world, there's a lot of like folks that are very purist, so to speak. And so those, that's just not my jam. I guess I'm not supposed to be in that room. And that felt like a grieving process for me is to sort of let go of the poet I thought I was going to be, or that I was supposed to be and just let it unfold. But the more you take those risks, the easier it becomes. Um, The more you see your writing as a gift, if somebody rejects it, it it gets to be more about them than you. And that's not to say that you need to be arrogant or that you need to not take critique or think about how to improve your work. But I think especially with, with black women, the more we, we can see ourselves as, as, uh, presenting our work as an offering, presenting it as a gift, it becomes less about the outcome, the money made, the notoriety of certain you know journals, and more about just giving of yourself and offering um, your gift to the world. Yeah, I love that. And when you started to put your own work out there, how, how and where did you do it? Like, did you did you have a blog? I'm, I'm just, just I'm just personally yeah. Playing. Um, yeah, so the first thing I did was a blog that I started back in 2012. And I felt really dumb. But I thought I would try it because so many people had it. And it was a low threat way um, for me to start to engage with my writing. And people, some people dug it. And I, I got had to, again, I had to 
not worry about follows. And, you know, I had a good group of followers, but once I disassociated with that piece of it, it became a really good way for me to just do some stream of consciousness writing, like, and not overthink things, not over edit. So that was one way. Um, I started submitting to just online journals. Um, Cause again, I, I was really, I, and I had a full-time job and was a parent at the, you know, so this was just me sort of like, what are some of these smaller pools that I can play in? So I really encourage folks to think about what are some, just even getting on mailing lists or blogs that send out submissions and you can, you know, set aside an hour or two. And I think I'm, I'm even, I'm even preaching to my former self because I think it gets, it's really easy to have a schedule for work, your bill paying work. You know, your um, children's schedule. If you're a parent, you know, your partner's schedule, you know, everybody else's things. Um, You know, when to start dinner, you know, when to pay your bill, all of those things, but schedule time to look at submissions an hour or two a week. That's all I could really do. And I didn't feel great about that, but you got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I started submitting my stuff. I got a lot of, I, I still have had way more rejections than I've had uh, acceptance, you know, and publishing in journals because I, while that's good, I think I have found the greatest reward in um, putting together a collection mm-hmm. versus Cause that's just kind of the way I work. I think I build a body of work and then I want to present it that way and everybody's different. So if you're still playing around and still trying to find your way, what better way to do that than to submit to different kinds of journals? Cause some are going to be more, you know, some might be sci-fi one that one that I considered um, was yeah. they were just publishing about dirt. Like there's all kinds of stuff. So I started submitting, I, I think I'm veering away from your question. Sorry. So I started okay. submitting Carry on. Um, and found, didn't found, didn't find super success with that, but that was okay. And with that first collection, again, I just started printing things out. And then I went through my own learning process around self-publishing. And when I put that out there and did a reading, that's when I got approached by a, a local press and she's actually the one that did a reprint of the first collection and then invited me to publish my second. And one thing I really appreciated about her, and this is another thing I'll say about putting yourself out there is getting practicing saying what kind of artist you are and what's important to you as a writer, because with the second collection, it's a combination of poetry and prose and my collage work is in there as well sort of as a way to split up the sections of the story. And so some publishers wouldn't want that. They would want it to to look very much a certain way. Yeah. And so that might not be the one for you, but just playing around with putting yourself out there can help you find out more of who you are as a writer and to just not try to please everybody. Put yourself out there as you are and you'll keep keep moving and growing just like the rest of us. I love that so much. So you've given out so much advice that I won't, uh, I won't <laughs> you for any more, but I'm curious, what do you like to read or listen to or watch? Do you like a bit of poetry yourself or do you find that you read completely different things? Yeah, I find I read lots of things. Um, COVID had me in my feels, of course. So I got a little bit more into, no- into novels. I needed to escape more. I'll say it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and while poet, yeah, while poetry can provide that, um, I think that fiction is can be really, really great at that, and memoir can be really, really great at you just being able to get out of your reality, however that looks. So what I just finished, and I actually keep revisiting, is "You Are Your Best Thing," the the collection of essays um, that was edited by Tarana Burke and Brene Brown, and it's all. Yes. Black authors. And I love that because I can get through an essay or two. Sometimes I just don't have a lot of time to sit and read, but it feels like I'm able to get away, engage with the Black experience. A lot of them are reframing our lives and lived experiences through a lens of joy and reclamation and healing. And so that, even for myself, it's been a a good healing practice to engage with other writers and creatives that are finding their way. Yeah. Especially they talked a lot of different authors talked about navigating shame and what that takes from us as humans. 
I also read The Prophets recently. So long, so intense. I had to walk away a couple of times, but it was an incredible. And it's by uh, Robert Jones Jr. And one, it was just an incredibly original take on the slave narrative. Um, to your point, it's one of the things I wanted to shift about my current exhibit is not have hardship be the center yeah. all the time. And while, yes, it's a slave narrative, so of course there's the the devastation of that, it's seeing it, it's also a Black love story. It's also just the imagery and the musicality of his work. Like, it's all just gorgeous to me. Um, so that was a beautiful tale for me to engage with. And then I've also been digging audiobooks because I can, you know, I can multitask. <laughs> I've been, yes, I have definitely been digging that. And I actually really loved, um, I actually wrote, um, listened to Gabrielle Union's second book. And I mm -hmm. loved some of the story. It's, it's not necessarily a book I would have thought to, to listen to. But I dig and respect Gabrielle Union, but I just wasn't sure. And she was taking so many day-to-day -day life experiences and sharing them in a really personal and hilarious way. Like you just felt like you were listening in on a conversation she was having with one of her homegirls. And I love books like that. Yeah. I love books like that too. I love that yeah. sort of, you feel like you're like, they're sitting there and you're just having a conversation. And it, it funny, funny that you should say that because it just takes me back to something I wanted to ask you earlier. Yeah. Um, although uh, again, it's, it's, it's a, not a fully formed question, but I'll go with it and we'll see what happens. But I think a lot about oral um, history and just, you know, that sort of tradition of storytelling, like mm -hmm. literally one person to another. And I, you know, I heard you talking about your grandmother and sort of not writing certain things down. And I always feel like poetry is almost like a close sibling to, to oral storytelling because mm -hmm. you know so much of it is that rhythmic sort of you know way that it has or can have to it I guess depends on how you write it um, almost feel like somebody's telling it to you so do you do a lot of performing of your of your work or is it mostly written or you know again yeah I do both um, it depends on the piece so there are sometimes I'll write a piece knowing it's going to be a spoken word piece so that will kind of impact, to your point, it'll, it'll impact the rhythm of the lines. It'll impact the flow, sort of the arc of the story. It takes a little longer when it's spoken word because you're kind of ebbing. And well, the way I do it, um, there's always sort of a climax of sorts. And sometimes I'll even actually ask people to participate and it becomes a little bit more of a community piece. Mm -hmm. But I will, you know, as you ask that, I'm thinking to myself, the... COVID has made me a little more introspective <laughs> and writing a lot less in my, in the performance mindset, I guess I should say it that way. But I think when I started to claim myself as a writer, like I said, was, was my, um, my late thirties. And I engaged in this program called voices of the city and it felt most comfortable. It might sound weird to folks, but it felt most comfortable for me to enter poetry as spoken word because I trained for a living. <laughs> so it was like, yeah. it felt like a comfortable way for me to kind of start sharing. Yeah. And play around. Yeah. And it actually, I really, the part of spoken word I really love is being able to feed off the energy of the audience. Yeah. That's I think when, yeah, when I'm doing more of a poetry reading, it's just me kind of depositing it. Um, which always kind of, it's kind of like doing a Zoom webinar. I don't know what people are getting from it. So it's a little bit more funky, mm -hmm. but I would definitely say I, I still do both. I generally am open to both. If people ask me to read, I'll ask them if they have a preference um, because sometimes they want, you know, poetry that provokes yeah. or poetry that inspires. And so that'll kind of determine the piece that I pick, but I kind of just go with where the, sp the spirit moves me. That sounds good. I have so many more questions I'd love to ask you. We are running low on time. So my sort of last question to you is you've talked a couple of times about in your 30s, you know, really claiming that identity as a writer, as a poet. What would you say to somebody who's struggling to, to sort of claim that? How would you? Um, what would I say? I would say stop it. That would be the first thing I would say. Okay. <laughs> Take a breath. <laughs> And even ask maybe thinking about, 
I guess there's a few ways I could answer it. I, I'm a coach. And so I'm, I get really, sometimes I get focused on asking the right question. One that will get at the right answer, I guess, because when someone's struggling to claim that part of themselves, there's a reason. So I might say, what need is that meeting or what are you protecting? But I think the most important question is what do you need to let go of to be your fullest self in terms of a writer? What do you need to, what do you need to let go of to claim that? What has to be true? And often what has to be true already is it's like, oh, well, my bills have to be paid or, you know, I, you know, my kids got to be taken care of or, you know, we can often talk ourselves out of it. But even saying like what's possible, that's not possible now once you let yourself be a writer, because some yeah. of it may just it may just be an inside job. It's not always about we know that it's not always about making a killing, even if you get published or, you know, you you get picked up by a publisher. There's still a lot of unmet financial need. So yeah. even thinking about like what is what's possible for you that's not possible now when you claim your identity as a writer and it could be healing it could be liberation it could be creativity it could be freedom often those are that's should that can be enough to yeah. support somebody and i guess the other thing i like to say is there's a whole community of creatives so when you claim that fully you're you're opening up space or you're inviting someone else to do it who may have even more to risk than you um yeah. and not to you know that's again that's my black auntie trying to like motivate with a little bit <laughs> not not guilt necessarily but just like there's a whole community out there who would love to hear what you have to say yeah um that your experience does matter your experience is unique enough so to really just inspire people to take that first step and start even if they're terrified just start I love that. That's good. And it's, it's true. I think sometimes, you know, there's a, someone I, I know, and I remember her saying to me, now she's written a book, she's published, self-published it and everything. And she said, Oh, you know, I, I figure if you're going to call yourself an author, you have to have like two or three books. And I'm like, who made that decision? Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Whose decision is that? Like, right. I feel like yeah. you wrote and published a book. I, I have it on my Yep. How, mm-hmm. how are you not how are you, how, yeah. how many books do you need to write before you right. decide to be a writer or decide to be an author? And to me, I don't feel you have to write any, but that's just my personal mm-hmm. opinion. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, we, I think sometimes we have all these ideas about what, what, what hurdles we need to jump over before we can claim this. Right. And it's just like, I feel like in claiming this thing, you will, you will be able to navigate this hurdle and you may have, as you say, some company along the way to do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, but I think that's a great, great way to kind of come to the end. So is there anything uh, else you wanted to mention or something that you feel like, oh, she asked me that and she didn't? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just want just, again, thank you for um, inviting me into the space and for the work that you're doing. I'm super grateful for it. I will invite folks. Folks can follow me on Instagram. My handle's brownbetty253. And I will um, if folks happen to be in Washington, the Pacific Northwest, um, my exhibit opens March 7th and will go through April 16th here in Tacoma at the University of Puget Sound. I have pictures and info about the exhibit um, on my Instagram and the link will be in my bio. Um, thank you. Well, we will follow you. I've got a couple of, I've got a really good friend in the UK who is kind of like starting out on her poetry, social media journey. Yeah. So I want to get her to follow you as well. I think that'll be a some good inspiration for her and yeah thanks for bringing your poetry out out of your journal <laughs> and into the world uh, so glad that you did. thank you so much all right nice take care to, nice to have you on kelly and everybody who's watching happy reading bye, bye. thank you for joining us today You can find out more about our guests in the notes below and don't forget to hit subscribe to subscribe to our channel so that you don't miss new episodes when they drop. And if this has inspired you to get your own writing project into the world, click on my website below and learn how you can work with me as a writing coach or an editor. Until next time, I send you big love from a small island.